The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Oh, has the landscape changed around Major League Baseball over the past... Well, let's say about six hours. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk presentation of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, where we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And in order to do that, we've got to go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, tell me, was there more changes in Major League Baseball this week or the White House? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. It, it, that sounds like it's about it's a toss-up. But Dave, I do have an issue with you. Uh, oh boy! Uh, yeah, and this is way overdue. Um, you keep playing the the Indians winning the pennant last year on our opening, and have you forgotten that yesterday the Reds beat the Marlins? Okay. I mean, the Reds won a game. So they won a game. Uh, that they won a game, they they were not swept in a four game series, and I think they should get some some you know play by play out of that. I mean that that's quite a, a an event for the Reds, and I know you Indian fans are used to winning now. You're getting awfully cocky, uh, but uh, you know maybe we'll talk about we'll, we'll talk about the trade that will turn it all around for the Reds in a few minutes. Yes, we'll do that, Mark. Though somber news. Coming out of Cincinnati, Lee May passed away on Saturday at the age of 74. You know, Lee May will probably go down as part of maybe one of the greatest deals Bob Housem ever made. Lee May and Tommy Helms to Houston for Joe Morgan and Jack Billingham. And a little-known ball player at the time named Eddie Armbruster. Yeah, it was, uh, and Dennis Menke, uh, was then in that I deal as well. Dennis was part of that deal. You're right. There, there was five guys in that deal the Reds got. But of course, the, the, as a Reds fan back at the time, when, when that trade was announced, I was a diehard fan as I am now. And, uh, it killed me because I love Lee May. I mean, he just was just a cool guy. And, you know, he hit, uh, what, 130 home runs over a three year period for Cincinnati. Uh, and he was, he hit 40 one year, I believe, close to 40. And, uh, he was, he was an integral part of that team and he came up with Pete Rose. He, he, the first year they played minor league ball, they played together. And, uh, he was a very integral part of what had been called in 1970 the big red machine. And then they seemingly broke it up, but Bob Housem in his, his wisdom, he had somebody else to play first base, a pretty good guy named Tony Perez. Uh, people forget that Tony was playing third base for the Reds, and they moved him over to first, and uh, the rest is history. I, I don't know I don't know what would have happened if the Reds would have kept May and traded Perez. I think May would have been a very productive player during those, those years, Reds won. They probably would have won with Lee May. Uh, but it's the same thing we were talking several weeks ago about Dave Bristol. Remember, Dave Bristol was fired as the Red Manager uh, in 1969 after the 69 season and missed out on what were to become the Big Red Machine, and, and that's exactly what happened to Lee May. Is he missed out on that? He went to a pretty bad Houston team at the time, and uh, you know never partook of uh, all the success the Reds had during the 70s. Mark, look at the three previous seasons that Lee May had before they traded him to the Houston Astros. As a 26-year-old, he in 1969, he hit 38 home runs, drove home 110 RBIs. In 1970, the year the Reds won the pennant and lost to Baltimore, he hit 34 home runs and drove home 94 
RBIs. And in 1971, at the age of 28, just entering his prime, marked 39 homers, 98 RBIs, and Bob Housem pulls the trigger and sends him to Houston. What was the thought process, first of all, behind Bob Housem doing that, and what was the gauge what the fans of the Reds thought about that trade at the time. Because, you know, Joe Morgan was not the player in Houston that he became in Cincinnati. Oh, there was a lot of, uh, I remember very well, uh, Lee May was a, was a fan favorite. And Bob Housem decided that uh, the year 1971, and, and even in 1970 when the Reds won, they did it with all power. Uh, they didn't have a lot of speed on the team and he wanted to improve the the infield defense. He wanted a guy like Morgan. He, he thought Morgan could steal 50, 50, 60, 70 bases a year. He was right. And that gave the Reds a, a different look going into that 1972 season. And that really was the, the change and, and the, the impetus for the Reds to become the dominant team in the 1970s. It was Joe Morgan. But don't forget, they picked up Jack Billingham in that deal as well. Dennis Minky, who went to third base, was a starting third baseman. And then, as you said, uh, Ed Armbrister and uh, Cesar Geronimo. You know, they got Geronimo in that trade, too. And he was a a linchpin, uh, you know, among the great eight on that team and, and solidified defense. So he added speed and defense when he picked up Geronimo and Morgan. But he got stability at third base in Dennis Minky. Don't, you know, don't forget that deal. That was part of that deal. And, and Jack Billingham became their number one starter. So it was it was a great deal for um, the the Reds. And I remember when I went to Dream Week, uh, I think it was, I don't know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, Tommy Helms was my, my manager when I was down there. Oh, boy. And I remember we went out to dinner one night, and we were talking about the trade because he, you know, he – he came up with Pete Rose and Lee May and Tony Perez, and he was part of that, that graduating class, as it were. And he said it took him a long time to get over that. And uh, the same thing about Lee May. He said he never got over the fact that he was traded from Cincinnati. And, in fact, both those guys came back home to live in Cincinnati when they retired. So they, they were long-term friends. And, and, and Tommy, of course, became a coach for the Reds. Uh, and, and Lee was just a very, very nice, popular guy. Funny, I mean, really a funny guy. Uh, I didn't, I, I saw him down there, but I didn't get to meet uh, Lee May. But uh, you know, Tommy was telling me how that that deal really, um, you know, messed him up for a long time because he he didn't want to leave Cincinnati, and that's exactly what Lee May said uh, just not long ago. You know, Lee May. Ended up finishing out his career with the Kansas City Royals. After he left Houston, he went to Baltimore. Mark, he had some good years in Baltimore, too, in, in the American League, taking over for Boog Powell at first base when Powell actually went to Cleveland to become the first baseman. Yeah, Lee May is in the Baltimore Oriole Hall of Fame. I mean, he had a, he had a good career over there. And, uh, again, just a, a very amiable guy. Everybody liked him. A good teammate. Uh, I've, I've never heard anybody say anything negative about Lee. And um, he, he was, I remember he was a big guy when I met him. He was, he was a big dude and uh, a gentle giant, everybody called him, and uh, very good sense of humor and very, very well liked. 74 years old, Lee May passed away on Saturday. Our condolences to his family. Uh, but Lee May is gone way too short, way before his time. So the trade deadline was this afternoon, Mark, at 4 o'clock. Before we get into the Reds and the Indians, any real big surprises outside of the Reds and Indians at the trade deadline? Well, not so much a surprise. Uh, Hugh Darvish going to the Dodgers at the last minute. Uh, I thought the Dodgers were going to pick up Verlander. Uh, I thought that's who they might be going after. Uh, but they ended up with Darvish. I think they, and then of course they got Tony Singrani from the Reds, and they got um, uh, Wagner Wilson, I guess, from the uh, Pirates. Um, uh, I'm saying his name wrong. Uh, but they they went out and they did what they had to do. I mean, that this is a team with the best record in baseball, and they go out and make and they acquire three players. It's Tony Watson who I was thinking of Watson. They they acquire three players that make them even better. 
And that's what I'd like to see with a front office who has a chance to win the world championship. And right now, if either Houston or Los Angeles Dodgers, if they don't win the World Series, their fans are going to be disappointed because they got the best records in baseball. And that would be a great – I'd love to see those two teams play because it's likely they're both going to win well over 100 games. And uh, if, if Kershaw is healthy, that is going to be a, a great series. If, if Keckles healthy, you know that's going to be, you know, really two number one pitchers going against each other in, in the playoffs. So that would be exciting. But I, I really admire the Dodgers front office. Of course, money isn't a problem to them. Going out there and, and, and getting Hugh Darvish, who I don't think uh, is a. I, I, Maybe you do. I don't consider him an ace of, of I don't staff either. right now. But he's a he's a really good three or four guy. I mean, an outstanding three or four guy. So they did what they had to do. And uh, you know, I heard they were going after Zach Grinke again, trying to get him back from Arizona. So they they were they were going out with an elephant gun. They were going to pull down somebody. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Cubs. They didn't do that. They didn't improve their staff. And uh, Washington, uh, I, I guess they think their staff is good enough, and they might be right. When you have the starting staff Washington does, I don't know where you go out and add somebody, but um, the Dodgers did the right thing. I just don't know what Mike Rizzo's thinking in Washington. I, I don't get it. But the Dodgers, Mark, 39-6. and six. They've won 74 games. You know, this Dodger team is reminiscent of the Reds team Back in 73, where they, they just went an ungodly amount. And the Tigers team in uh, 84 that just started out, I think it was 39 and 6 is what the, the actual Tigers team started out the season at. And the Dodgers has gone, have gone on that kind of run. And yet they go out and they sell the farm to get two pitchers. That's going to segue us into what the Reds and Indians did today. You, Darvish. And Tony Singrani. And just what, I never swear on this show, but I'm going, what the hell is Dick Williams thinking? Giving up Tony Singrani for the crap that he got back in Scott Vance like. Yeah, I, obviously they didn't need an outfielder. Uh, Vance like is a, is a bench player. Uh, he's hitting 122 right now. Uh, so he's, he's not he's not the he's not the answer. His he's not best Andy. Year, what? He's not Andy. No, he's not Andy. Two forty two lifetime batting average. He's got twenty nine home runs over six years. Uh, he, he's a journeyman player. Uh, his average he, he peaked in two thousand fourteen where he had two ninety seven. After he started off in two thousand twelve hitting one sixty seven, then two forty in two thousand thirteen, but. Uh, in 15, 16, and 17, his, his playing time has dropped significantly. And, again, uh, I doubt he'll make the roster next year, the 40-man roster. In fact, I'm not sure they're going to keep him on the 40-man roster. But I think if, you, if you're looking for something to hope for, uh, the other kid they got, this Hendrick Clementina. He's a 20-year-old catcher. He signed in 2014 with the Dodgers. Uh, he's in their rookie league right now, which is not indicative of it much of anything, except he's on their roster. He's got good numbers this year. He's hitting 370. Uh, he's got uh, 25 RBIs, four home runs, five doubles. Um, and, and that's all I know about him is what I see on the statistics. He looks like a pretty good young catcher. Um, we'll, we'll see. And the Reds uh, already, you know, their number one draft pick from three years ago was a catcher. Uh, they signed another catcher, number two pick last year. So I don't know what they're thinking, uh, but they gave away Tony Singrani. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, it's, it's amazing how that guy's value must have cratered. Because remember three years ago, everybody thought he was going to be a starter for this team, maybe a number one or number two starter. And now, he, you know, good for him. He's going to a team that can win the World Series. But you're right. To get what they got... For a left-hand guy who throws 97, uh, that's that's amazing. I, I'm just totally shocked. I really am. I, it just amazes me. What amazes me even more is that this team held on to Robert Stevenson. Now I know. You, well, I don't know what you're going to say about this, but you know, to me, 
I'd have given him away for a broken bat and a bag of balls. Yeah, but Dave, who wants him? Well, that, that's what I mean. I'd have given him away for just about anything. Well, you don't want to give him away. I mean, at this point, they can't get anything for him. And they got to find out this year in the remaining games in the season what you know, if he's any good or not. But this goes back to a much, much bigger issue that the Reds with, with – at one time, you could have looked three years ago and looked into the future in 2017 uh, and say – our, our starting, our, our top two guys are going to be Robert Stevenson and Tony Singrani. They're going to be our number one and two starters. And one has been traded away for a bucket of balls, and uh, another one has a, a eight, you know, a seven point seven five ERA, and has has not performed at all. Those those are decisions the front office made that were wrong. There's no other way to say it. They made a mistake. Now, now Stevenson can still come back and rectify that mistake. But how many more years? This, he's been in this organization for six years. And you and I have been talking about Robert Stevenson all that time. And look where he is now. And then Singrani gone for nothing. So some, And you can't blame Williams for that necessarily. He didn't sign Singrani. He didn't, you know, the pick, somebody messed him up. Or he just was a head case that never adapted to the big leagues. It'd be interesting to see if he can hang around with the Dodgers. Well, the Indians made a deal, which was just a small one. But what I found interesting, Mark, was that the Indians were involved in this Hugh Darvish sweepstakes. And it's it's hard to believe that they are because they're going with a six-man starting rotation, Mark. Right now, they've got the best ERA in in the American League. They're the number one pitching staff according to ERA and strikeouts in the American League and strikeouts as opposed to walks, and yet they're going after another starting pitcher in you, Darvish. And I think the reason they were going after him, Mark, was because they didn't want Boston or the Yankees or even Houston to get their hands on him. The Dodgers, okay, maybe, you know, because we're, we would face them in the World Series. But they didn't want another American League team to get Darvish just in case, and it turned out that the Dodgers got him. But what did the Indians do? They went out and got Joe Smith. Yep, Joe Smith, the same Joe Smith that was with the Indians from 2009 through 2013. Joe Smith was a very, very capable reliever for the Indians, Mark. But his claim to fame, I went off the deep end on him and his wife, one night on a show. I, I, matter of fact, I've got to go back and I've got to pull the tapes and maybe bring that up from next week because he and his wife, Allie LaForce, that was the name. I talked to you earlier this afternoon. She was the Channel 8 Fox News sports reporter that married Joe Smith. They went to Putin Bay in Cleveland, Mark, and Joe Smith got arrested and she pulled the Don't You Know Who I Am card out of her back pocket, and that eventually led to her leaving Fox in Cleveland and going to CBS and becoming the sideline reporter for most of the football games through the SEC on CBS and then the college basketball games. I don't know. The only reason she got her job in Cleveland, Mark, is because she was good-looking. But she ended up marrying a Major League Baseball player in Joe Smith, and she's not the only baseball player that married a f reporter in Cleveland. Jim Tomey did the same thing. Well, I mean, that, there you go. Is that any, is that surprising to you that uh, a baseball player, professional baseball player, would marry an attractive uh, female sports announcer? I mean, they they probably worked together for a long time, got to know each other. That's that, not, not surprising. Well, with the assets that Justin Verlander was bringing along with him, I'm surprised he didn't end up in L.A. <laughs> yeah, somebody else brought that up about he and his wife going to L.A. That would be quite a splash out there. Oh, boy. Uh, it, it would you be... know, back to the field, though. Joe Smith, what he does, Mark, He's of course, he's a side a sidewinder, throws sidearm. Um, if he's on, he's a very good pitcher. This is a good pickup for the Indians because they can either use him prior to Andrew Miller or they can switch him and Brian Shaw and bring them in in the sixth and seventh inning. That shortens the starting rotation again. 
like Terry Francona likes to do, and it lengthens the bullpen when you've got Smith, Shaw, Miller, and and uh, Cody Allen to come in to close out games. It just lengthens that Indians bullpen again. Well, that's the rich get richer in that regard. I mean, I think the Indians didn't need to make a deal at all. Uh, they're pretty loaded, and, but aside from being loaded, uh, they're, they're playing in a division that uh, by, by the end of the year, I think they're going to win by eight or nine games. I'd be shocked if Minnesota hangs with them. Uh, but Kansas City is only two games behind. And if I was the Indians fans, I'd be more concerned about them. Uh, Kansas City knows how to win. But uh, regarding disregarding that, uh, the Indians are just far and away better than any team in the Central. To me, the most interesting thing I heard watching uh, baseball tonight, which was on this afternoon prior to the trade deadline, was kind of a off-the-cuff comment made by Harold Reynolds where he said, you know, one thing I'm surprised about, he said the Boston Red Sox need a first baseman. And he said, I wonder what's going to happen after the trade deadline because Joey Votto is is a perfect match for the Red Sox. And nobody picked up on it. Nobody, you know, took it any further than that. And I'm, I'm, you know, it got my attention. I heard Bado's name going to the Red Sox. And it, I've said all along, that makes so much sense. They need yeah. a first baseman. They've got the money. Bado will be a Hall of Famer for sure. And if he plays in Fenway Park, my God, he could hit 400 there. And with that short left field fence, the way he goes to left field. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen? You know, trades can still be made in August. They just have to go through waivers. But I, I doubt any team is going to pick up Joey's contract um, other than Boston. And they and they and he could make the difference with that team. And I'm, I'm surprised that that wasn't taken more seriously today. Well, you've talked about it like, for the last two years, like you said, you've talked about that for the last two years, Joey Votto going to Boston, and what a big improvement at first base that would be. You know, with David Price going down with the for the second time this year, Mark, with that left elbow inflammation, I'm surprised the Red Sox didn't go out and do something to shore up their pitching staff. But they did the same thing. They stayed pat. Well, I'll tell you, somebody else that didn't get any kind of uh... – Interest, which I guess because of the injury isn't surprising, although he has pitched reasonably well since he came back, is Homer Bailey. Uh, this guy, you know, two no-hitters. He, he, he was throwing 97-98 uh, the other day, uh, pitched okay. Um, uh, and he would be a guy, if you believe he's going to come back health-wise, uh, you know, you could make a deal to pick up his contract for a player to be named later, and if if he has a great year between now and the end of you know the playoffs, then you'd get more for that trade. Uh, if he has a crappy year or he's hurt, you get less. But I'm surprised Homer Bailey didn't get any attention. Well, that that was a surprise. But you know who I thought was the big winner? The New York Yankees. The Yankees yeah. went out and and stabilized their starting rotation with Sonny Gray coming over from Oakland and. Jaime Garcia coming over from the Twins. Man, he that was a cup of coffee that Garcia had with the Twins. We talked about him going to Minnesota last week, and then Minnesota just suddenly fell off the face of the earth in the AL Central. They're seven games out. They give up on him and send him to the Yankees. And I think, he, you know, if he, you're getting a good pitcher in Garcia if you can get him straightened out. Yeah, they they might use him in the bullpen, too. Uh, he's got the kind of arm. He's, he's tough on left-handers. Uh, but the, the Sonny Gray deal to me was was really a good deal for the Yankees. That uh, I think that was a much better pickup for the Yankees than Hugh Darvish was for the Dodgers. I mean, if, if I had my choice, and maybe they didn't have a choice, but I'd have, I'd have tried to get Sonny Gray. He, he is really tough. And uh, Darvish, I think he's peaked uh, in the last several years, and he gave up ten runs the other day in a game, which is not indicative of what he's done. You know, all year, but he's he's been hammered two of his last four starts. So uh, Sonny Gray is going the other way. He, he's been outstanding his last seven or eight starts. So it, you never know what the backstory is, and you wonder when the Dodgers are going to run out of prospects. You know, because they trade these prospects all the time, and they, I guess, they just have a great 
uh, draft plan because they keep reloading their their farm system. But uh, you know the, the the rich get richer, as I said, and the Dodgers right now. And by the way, the team you were you were comparing, I, I think it was the 1970 Reds. Uh, they went 70 and 30 to start the season, and at one time they were 51 and nine uh, in that 1970 season. So uh, that that was actually it was 76, but they won their first 70 out of 100 games in 1970. Uh, but the Reds are 51 and nine in 1970. No, I take that back. It's 1975. They did that. They yeah, the run I was talking about was the one that they made when they were actually um, 11 and a half games behind the oh, Dodgers. Okay. okay. Uh, at the well, what was it? About June 20th, something like that. And Ed Armbruster. That's the reason I brought it up. Remember, he hit a home run. In the bottom of the ninth inning, in the first game of a doubleheader against the Dodgers, and that spurred the Reds to go on, and, and they won some ungodly amount. They won like forty-one and five. No, actually, I, now I, I'm not trying to, you know, no, I contradict you. Me. It, it, it wasn't Ed Armbruster. It, it was a catcher, uh, a guy. I'll think of his name in a minute, but he was a catcher that came up uh, and, and hit a three-run home run, and I know because I listened to that game. And the Reds, it was a, you're right, it was a doubleheader. I think it was in July, actually. And I was driving back from Philadelphia uh, to Ohio and heard that. And uh, before the broadcast is up, I'll think of that catcher's name. Uh, he was a black guy, a left-hand hitter. Hal King. Hal King was the guy. He hit the home run that uh, that, did, that started their, their huge comeback against the Dodgers. But uh, the event did take place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was you know that was that was a great moment. You know, I think the team that really failed, Mark, talked about the Yankees. I think they were the big winners at the trade deadline. I think the team that failed was the Detroit Tigers, and I think the reason they failed was because they've hamstrung themselves so much to older, high-priced players like Victor Martinez and Justin Verlander. Nobody wanted to pick up that Verlander contract, which has got two more years to go. $56 million is what he's owed. Even the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox, who are flush with money, didn't want to touch that contract. Yeah, and but Verlander, the last three or four years, has not been the Verlander of five years ago. He was basically unhittable. And he's had some very good games, and I'd love to have him on the Red staff. You know, he'd be our number one starter by far. But uh, you know when you're when you're picking your staff, what these teams are doing now, they're not trying to get better for next year or the year after. They're trying to win a World Series championship, not get to the playoffs. It's a fait accompli. The teams we're talking about are going to be in the playoffs. They're they're matching up right now, Dave. They're matching up for a game seven in the World Series. Right. Who am I going to have pitching in game seven? Who's going to be my number one reliever? Who am I going to have in a short role in the bullpen? That's they're matching up already. So when you are the Dodgers, you want to set up your rotation. So in the seventh game of the World Series, if it goes that far, you want to have Clayton Kershaw as your starter. And if you're if you're the Indians, who who do you want as your seventh game guy? Corey Kluber, of course, and. So, but you have a bullpen set up now behind him, matchups against some of these other teams. I mean, they're looking at actual lineups at this point. Okay, if 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 Kluber is my starter and he has to get out of there after the seventh inning, who am I going to bring in? Well, Andrew Miller. And then you know you start setting up your your rotation that far in advance. That's how you win a World Series, and that's what these teams do now. But you look at the super teams out there right now, and I, I see four of them. I see the Dodgers, I see the Cubs, Nationals, the Indians, and Houston, actually, five teams. Five super teams. Now, there may be a sixth. I'm not sure who it might be. But those five teams are already planning for the playoffs. They, they just assume they're going to win the first round and the second round. And then they get into the World Series. So... Uh, the, 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 as I said, the, the, the teams that can afford it can go out there and do what the Dodgers did today. They picked up three guys on a team 
that is going to win probably 110 games this year. I, I, that, that, I think that's terrific. Oh, yeah. And the dot, you want to know who the Rangers got for Darvish? You know, that they didn't announce it. I didn't, I didn't even see it. Willie Calhoun, an infielder, that's L.A.'s number four prospect. Right-handed pitcher A.J. Alexi, who's their number 17 prospect. And infielder Brendan Davis, who's their number 27 prospect. That's a pretty good haul. They got a pretty good haul out of that. And they gave up Jonathan Lucroy, who went to Colorado. I wonder if he had to agree to that deal. (laughs) You know, that is going to go down, Mark, as one of the great non-trades in Indians history because Federico Mejia is just turning out to be one outstanding catcher. And had Lucroy said, yes, I want to join the Indians, we probably never would have seen... Perez's home run last year, the two home runs that he hit in in the World Series last year, we probably never would have seen it. Well, it's, it's amazing. Some of the best deals you make are the ones you don't make, um, and you you know you force to keep a player or a deal falls through, and you know good things happen as a result of that. It's all a crapshoot, and you know the you just have to admire teams that go out there and take a chance to, to, to win it. Uh, we've said years for years now that at one time the indians stood too pat and so did the reds they did not go out there even when they were playing well when the reds were you know winning uh divisions back in uh, 10 12 and 13 they had a chance to win world series and they didn't they didn't go for it they did not do what the dodgers have done and how these other teams have tried to get better uh, at, at the at the trade deadline the reds did not do that and I think that's come back to haunt them to this day. Well, the Indians, they've won nine of their last ten. They won nine in a row. They got beat yesterday. They're 57-46 and 46 entering tonight's series against the Boston Red Sox. They're on tonight. The Reds, of course, were off tonight. But the troublesome thing about it, Mark, is when you win nine of ten ball games, you expect to pick up some ground on the teams that are following you. The Indians have not. Kansas City did the same thing. They won nine of their last ten, and they're still only two games behind the Indians with a record of 55 and 48. Kansas City, even though a lot of people had them dead and buried at the end of May, boy, in June and July, they picked up steam, and they're coming back with a vengeance in the last two months. Well, knowing the scheduling as I do in a general sense, I would bet there's going to be a number of games between the Indians and Royals between now and the end of the year. Uh, those will be exciting games. And, and the problem with this, the American League Central is it doesn't look to me as a wild card is going to come out of the Central. No. Which would make it tough. You know, one of those good teams is not going to get into the playoffs. Now, I don't think Kansas City is a super team. I think they're a very good team. And if the Indians were to falter, I mean, Kansas City, uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to win uh, a playoff match. But. You never know. You get to the playoffs, and the Giants proved that a number of years ago, several times. You get to the playoffs, anything can happen. So, you know, it, it is, it's unfortunate that one of those very good teams is likely not going to make the playoffs this year. Well, before we say that nobody from the AL Central is going to get the wild card, let's correct ourselves. Because right now, Kansas City is in second place, 55-48, and 48, and Mark, they're only a game behind the Yankees, Boston, and a half a game in front of Tampa Bay for the wild card slot. Yeah, but my so point it, is, my point being, Dave, though, that the, the I bet you Kansas City and Cleveland play each other a number of times. They and do. that means and so they're, the they're going to beat each other. They're, they're going to beat each other up, and that's going to add a bunch of losses. And I would bet because of that, they're not going to have a chance to make the, the wild card. Well, the one thing about it is the Indians are starting to play better baseball. They've got that six-man rotation, and things are going well in that. The starting pitching is starting to come around. The Reds, on the other hand, though, Mark, like you said, they won a game yesterday. They only won two of their last ten. They're 42-63 and 63 entering tonight as an off night, and then they go into Pittsburgh for a three-game set tomorrow night through Thursday. But, Mark, what's going on with the Reds? What, what has happened that has led to this downturn? Pitching, uh, the starting pitching has not been there, uh, and the hitting has faltered since the All-Star break. 
uh, this last two or three games, they picked up some home runs and RBIs, but they're not they're not hitting with men on base. Uh, they've had a chance to score a lot of runs. They just they just don't. Uh, there, there's no other way to say it. The Reds are not a good baseball team. Uh, there's no consistency. Uh, they've I don't want to pick on Peraza uh, because he, you know, it's not his fault that the Reds traded for him. But uh, he, he's a guy that is several years away from being a, a serviceable big league player. He, he's way overmatched at shortstop, and it becomes very, very apparent the more you see him play. And I've now seen him play, well, close to 100 games now this year. He doesn't have the arm or the range for shortstop. If anything, he's a second baseman. Uh, he has the softest bat. When he hits a ball, it's like he's hitting a wiffle ball. It doesn't go anywhere. And that, if he's the future for this team, if he's what you're going to build your, your middle infield around, either at short or second base, you got a problem, Houston. I mean, there, there is a problem there. And, you know, with Billy Hamilton, he, you know, I'd love Billy Hamilton. I'd love to watch him play defense. He's got a 280 on base percentage. So what, what goods of speed do you if you don't get on base? Uh, there's just a lot of holes in this team, and I, I you know, yeah, you, you look down the 40-man roster, Dave, and there's just not a lot of hope, and that that's what should be concerning to Reds fans. Now, three, four, five years from now, sure, maybe these guys, uh, like Green, the, the number one pick this year, will be the superstar we all want him to be, but Hunter Green is five years away from being a big league pitcher, an effective big league pitcher, if he becomes one. That's that's really tough. You can't do it all with the draft. You've got to do it with trades. You've got to do it with developing your players. And your question, what's wrong with the Reds? It's it's a pretty long list. And I don't, you know, you know better than I. I don't remember the Indians being this far off the grid since we've been doing our show over the last seven years. They've they've been disappointing because they haven't, you know, performed sometimes the way we both wanted them to. But you always saw, you know, the 40-man roster, you had guys coming up that you could get excited about. And these guys, like Lindor, you know, you saw Lindor coming from a mile away. <laughs> he was a good player. And, and you saw it, and you mentioned it. And, he, and, he, and he's proven to be that good. The Reds don't have that. And that's what concerns me is is I just don't see it down there. Yeah, and and that's that's a problem that the Reds are going to have to overcome in order to be a team to beat in that National League Central Division. But Mark, like you said, it, it's a ways away, or it appears to be a ways away. And one of the things you know, I listened to Marty Brenneman talk the other night during the broadcast, and Peraza didn't get a ground ball with two outs and runners at first and second. I believe it was the game they played in the afternoon. It was either Wednesday or Thursday afternoon, Mark, and I don't remember who it was against. But Jeff Brantley immediately said Peraza should have had that ball, should have knocked that ball down and kept it on the infield. And Marty Brenneman made the comment. He said, if the Reds think they can go into 2018 with Peraza at shortstop, they are sadly mistaken. I agree with Marty on that. And, you know, that uh, Zach Cozart, it, it, this was an interesting and maybe telltale uh, regarding Zach Cozart. Uh, there, there, not one position player, regular player, was moved in this, in this trade deadline. Now, that's an amazing thing, not one. Uh, you had a, a bench player, uh, Rosario, former Red, was moved. But not one position player was moved. And that means everything is built around pitching. And the Reds just don't have the, the, the pitchers in this organization right now that can, can match any of the teams in the league. The Reds have the worst record of the last four years in baseball, and it's not getting any better. That's, that's the problem. You know, you, you, okay, we'll suck it up as fans. And we'll have two, three years down. Okay, four years down. But it's likely the Reds are going to finish last again next year. <laughs> and that's what's the scary part, is these organizations, like the Pirates did, like from 19, what was it, they went 21 years without getting to the playoffs. Well, the Reds went almost that long. 
without getting to the playoffs. So uh, our cup is not runneth over, David. Uh, it, it's pretty much of an empty cup right now. Well, the Hall of Fame festivities were held yesterday at Cooperstown, and I'm going to continue to say this until Pete Rose makes the Hall of Fame or I'm dead. Without Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame, it's not a Hall of Fame, so it doesn't matter who goes in. But we're going to talk about it anyway, and then we're going to talk about the latest thing that has happened to P. Rose. But, Mark, the Hall of Fame class went in yesterday. Yvonne Rodriguez, Tim Reigns, Jeff Bagwell, John Sherholtz, and Bud Selig. And the first question that I want to ask you about this Hall of Fame class is, in the last 20 years, who had better? Who was better in the last 20 years, Bud Selig or Barry Bonds? Bud Selig? Who was better in the last 20 years, Bud Selig or Barry Bonds? <laughs> Barry Bonds. <laughs> I agree with you, totally. What in the world are these people thinking, putting Bud Selig in the Hall of Fame? What did Bud Selig do that deserved to be put in the Hall of Fame over? Well, he, uh, let me see, he, uh, I'll come up with something, Dave. Come on, give me a minute. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. He's totally ruined interleague baseball, the, 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 the sanctity of the game. Let's talk about the sanctity of the game, Mark. He has totally ruined that. He totally ruined the sanctity of the game. He screwed up the All-Star game, not only once but twice, by making it not only the focal point of the World Series, and whoever wins gets the home field advantage with, thank God, the new commissioner eliminated that, but then he screwed up the 2002 All-Star Game, letting it end in a tie. And then on top of that, 1994, on his watch mark, the only time it's ever happened, a World Series is canceled. And this guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> yeah, it's... You're speechless. I'm speechless, but you know, a more serious question about this class is there's all kinds of rumors around about Jeff Bagwell and was he on the juice or not. And it was never proven. Uh, people, he said because of his injuries, it was suspected he took a lot of, and his, his body size changed and all this stuff, all the, all the things that you look at for a guy who was on the juice. Now, he got in. Now, does that break the dam? Does that then, you know, next year you get Clemens in and you get Barry Bonds in? They, obviously, they, they should be in. And the only reason they're not is that even though there's no proof, uh, people suspect that they were taking steroids. So if, if, if that's the case, if one guy slipped in, like Bagwell, uh, why wouldn't everybody else be allowed in? Here's the problem you've got with next year, and I agree with you totally. I think Barry Bonds deserves to be in. Barry, it's never been proven Barry Bonds did it. No. Never. Not in a court of law. Nowhere has it been has it been proven. Roger Clemens is on the gray area. It's not really been proven, but yet it's not really been not proven. So you know you've got Roger Clemens. So I agree with you. Those two. But here's the problem you've got coming in for next year. You've got Chipper Jones who's eligible. You've got Jim Tomey who's eligible. You've got Omar Vizquel who's eligible. Matter of fact, Mark, the Indians could have two Hall of Famers next year, and in quite honestly, should have two Hall of Famers inducted next year. There is no reason to keep Omar Vizquel out, although I think he's going to be the one that is going to be left out, but he shouldn't. He is, if not the greatest shortstop in Major League Baseball history, Mark, one of the top three. And I'm including uh, Ozzie Smith in that bunch. Jim Tomey, yeah, I, I, 600 home runs, never had a sniff of steroid problems. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Chipper Jones, I don't think there's a doubt. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Those are the three that I think should be inducted next year, along with Barry Bonds. But I thought Barry Bonds should have got it this year. Well, there's no question that the steroid event that took place in the, uh, I guess, started 20 years ago, has has cast a, a shadow over an entire generation of baseball players. You, you always has to have the uh, suspicion of what they have, have done or haven't done. 
And I, th- I think the numbers have to be the only objective criteria because you, you get into so much guesswork. You you punish some guys maybe wrongly because you, you think they did the stuff and they didn't. And, but then how do you how do you measure what impact taking the steroids had on a player like Bonds, who before he began taking steroids, he had already won three MVP awards. <laughs> this guy was a Hall of Famer, whether he took this stuff or not. You know, he, he was a great, great player. So it, it's, I think you just have to uh, have other players vote. This idea of these writers getting the, the vote, it, it, that's BS. And they should have a committee that lets them in, including former Hall of Famers. Well, you know, that's how it's done in the NFL. Yeah. There, there's a committee. Matter of fact, the Hall of Fame players vote with that committee as to who's to be, who will be allowed in. Yeah, I think that's the only way you can do it and, and be fair. Uh, a lot of these, these writers who've never played a game, and they, I mean, if a guy was a writer in, you know, for Atlanta, he hasn't seen a Dodger play his whole career. He's seen a few times a year. You can't measure it unless you are on the field against these guys. You played against them. You know them, and all that stuff. I mean, it's and some of the press have bad relationships with players. They hold that against them once they retire. Nobody liked Barry Bonds. He was a jerk, but he was, he was probably. He's got to be up there, you know, with with the Babe Ruths and the Lou Gehrigs. I mean, look at his numbers. I mean, they his numbers are crazy. And there's the same can be said about Pete Rose. Why isn't Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame? We we beat this to death. But it's not a Hall of Fame if you don't have Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Pete Rose, and half a dozen other players that are that aren't in for reasons that don't make a lot of sense to me. And why did it take Tim Raines so long to get in? I don't know. I mean, Tim Raines, I thought, was one of the most exciting players I'd ever seen play. He could run. He could hit for power. Uh, he was he was just a great player, great defensive player, uh, great teammate, all the things you'd want. And, you know, because he played at Montreal, I guess, again, the, the press didn't see him play enough. Other players did, I can tell you that. Other, other GM saw him play. Other managers saw him play. They knew how great he was, but some of these press guys don't, and so they they vote for their local hometown guy, and that's not fair. And Yvonne Rodriguez, nicknamed Pudge, boy, he proved it yesterday. Did you see him in that suit? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, boy, he's a guy that needs to go to training camp. Well, he. <laughs> It's amazing. I, I remember seeing him play, and, you know, I'm a huge Johnny Bench fan, and, you know, Pudge said when he was playing that Johnny Bench was his hero, uh, but Pudge was quick. He was he was quick. He had an unbelievable arm. I'm, a guy got rid of the ball so quick, you just didn't run on Pudge. And I always thought he was a better defensive player than Johnny Bench. Uh, but, he just again, he played most of his career down in Texas, and people didn't see him play a lot. And, but he, I thought he was a, a great catcher, uh, and that, that's to me that's the toughest position to play in baseball. And uh, if you can if you can put up numbers in that position, that, that's probably the easiest way to get to the Hall of Fame is to become a catcher. You know the thing about Ivan Rodriguez that got me was after he left Texas, became a free agent, and, and signed with Detroit, he was really the first big name player to sign with the Tigers. He started the rejuvenation of the Tigers, and then they started getting more and more players, not only through the free agency, but also through the draft, because they were so poor for so many years, Mark, and nobody wanted to go to Detroit. Tiger Stadium was a dump. Where it was at was a dump. And then they built new Tiger Stadium, put it right next door, along with, with the new domed football stadium. They've rebuilt that area, and it's it's become a place to go for for baseball players. Yeah, but that team, you know, we've said this for the last two or three years. You look at that roster with all the big names they had, and I think they and then uh, the California Angels have been the most underperforming teams based on their roster. Amen. Uh, 
And, you know, the Reds have been the worst team, but they didn't have the roster to begin with. But those teams had great rosters, and they couldn't win. And not only couldn't they win, in the Angels' case, they finished last a couple years with, with the money they had out there in the Los Angeles market and the roster they had to start with. I mean, you start with Mike Trout and Albert Pujols to begin with. I mean, <laughs> you know, that, that's a pretty good start for your 25-man roster. And they just weren't able to pull it off. But those teams uh, j- just have really disappointed their fans probably more than any other teams in baseball. Well, that moves us out of the Hall of Fame and into a situation that is going on now that kind of came to light earlier today, Mark. You've probably heard what's going on in this Pete Rose lawsuit against John Dowd. And, of course, for those of you who don't know, John Dowd was the investigator that Bart Giamatti brought in to investigate Pete Rose and his gambling situation back in the late 80s when Pete was banned for life. Mark, John Dowd made the comment a year ago, and this guy just doesn't seem to want to go away. He he seems to think that Pete Rose is his meal ticket, and he's going to continually bring that meal ticket into the forefront until evidently it costs him some money, and right now it may cost him some money because John Dowd made the comment a year ago that Pete Rose used to sleep with 13- and 14-year-old girls while he was playing with the Reds. And now there has it has been determined, there's supposedly, and this is what's being reported as of today, that the woman that John Dowd, was referring to evidently it happened back in the 1973 season now Pete says he was told she was 16 which in the state of Ohio even back then is legal age for consent and is not considered statutory rape uh, this woman has brought out a signed affidavit that says yes it it was consensual Mark this this would appear to get Pete off the hook, yet it's still it's it's extremely disappointing. Yeah, Dowd, uh, you're right. He to me he was a small time attorney uh, who tried to live off Pete Rose, and uh, not that Pete should be sleeping around with 16 year old girls for that matter. At, at that point in his career, um, I'm not sure that is, um, you know. That gets him off the hook necessarily with a lot yeah. of people that she was 16 and not 15. Well, me included. Uh, so uh, that that is that's not in Pete's favor. But from a, from a legal perspective, I think Pete um, got him for libel and slander. And uh, you're right, John Dowd could write a big check because of that. And I hope Pete gets him. Maybe not because of that particular situation, but because John Dowd has been such a an ass. Uh, over over this entire thing for as long as I can remember, and I, I just never liked the guy. And if it wasn't for Pete Rose, probably nobody would have ever heard his name. You know, everybody thinks that Pete didn't bet on the Reds to lose when he was betting as manager of the Reds. You know, John Dowd has even made insinuations. He hasn't come right out and said it. But what he's done is he's insinuated just by his snickering during interviews Instead of answering the question, I've actually heard him on a couple of different interviews, Mark, where they've asked him point blank, did Pete Rose bet against the Reds while managing the Reds? And John Dowd just laughs. He won't answer the question. He'll just laugh. And that's some well, of the stuff that John Dowd has gotten away with. Well, that's what I meant, that, that John Dowd has taken advantage of the situation with Pete and uh, rather than have some class and walk away from it, he keeps you know, digging the knife in and twisting it. So uh, I hope Pete prevails in this, and I hope at some point Major League Baseball comes to their senses and and recognizes what you said a half hour ago is true. A Hall of Fame without Barry Bonds and Pete Rose is no Hall of Fame. It's just not. It's 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 something else. It's not a Hall of Fame. I mean, why why couldn't you put guys in there and just have a blurb next to their name that says accusations have been made, never proven about this particular player? I mean, you could do that with a bunch of players already in there. I mean, yeah. Ty Cobb was supposed to have, he and Tris Speaker 
back in the 20s, supposedly made hundreds of thousands of dollars throwing games. That that was the the, the assertion. Nobody ever proved it, but that, that's a pretty strong assertion from other players who had retired and knew what was going on. So <clears throat> they're in the Hall of Fame. You know, nobody questions that. Uh, I don't know. It, it just seems kind of silly. And then you have shoeless Joe Jackson, who was barred from a Hall of Fame when he didn't he didn't throw a game. He knew about it and didn't report it. That's what he did wrong. And he was Babe Ruth called him the greatest hitter he ever saw. And that's you know, <laughs> the unfairness of that to me has always uh, bothered me a lot about him. I, I read his life story and, and what happened to him and. He ended up, you know, running a liquor store down in South Carolina uh, and died at a young age, never recovering from that. And what is John Dowd doing now, Mark? Working for Donald Trump. Insinuations could be made by the people you hang with. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that being said, <laughs> and before I get myself in trouble, let's let's move along very quickly as the show winds down. For this Monday night, well, the all the the trade deadline is over. Everything is done. Zach Cozart is still a Red. Are you shocked, Dave? You, you broke up there. I'm sorry, I didn't hear your question. I said Zach Cozart is still a Red. Are you shocked? Yes, yes, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Uh, I may ask you a question before we get off here. Had you been Cleveland's general manager, what would you have done? with the Indians at the trade deadline? You know, I, I'm torn on it, Mark, because the only shortstop that I've got that is anywhere near ready to play at the major league level is Peraza, and you've seen that he can't do it. So if you're going to trade Zach Cozart and get something in return, you've got to be able to somehow, some way, bring somebody in that is going to be your full-time shortstop in 2018. Whether you're going to do that in the free agency next year or acquire somebody in a trade, but you've got to be able to bring in a shortstop. So that being said, I'm kind of surprised that Washington didn't make more of an overture toward getting Zach Cozart to fulfill that, that shortstop position, which is obviously a hole right now. Well, you know, this might lead, because of the injuries had this year, this might put the Reds in a pretty good position to go to him and say, look, we'll offer you a three-year deal because you're, you're damaged good. We'll take a chance on you. But you're not, if you go to the free agent market, you may come back to us next year and it's going to be too late. I mean, shortstop is solved if the Reds sign, sign Cozart going into next year. Sign into a three-year right. deal. Your shortstop deal is done. Focus on second base. Put Peraza over there. Put Dilson Herrera over there. Find out who wins. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things you can do if you sign Cozart. That's true. Yeah, you've got a lot. So, you know, that being said, am I surprised that he's still a Red? Yes. Am I glad he's still a Red? Yes. Well, uh, yeah. I, I think his his value has gone down because of the injury, and that might help the Reds sign him. Uh, that's the long and short of it. What do the Reds have coming up this week, Mark? Uh, they go to Pittsburgh this week, and I have not. I, I, David, I don't look beyond the schedule because it depresses me. Uh, but they got three games starting tomorrow night in Pittsburgh, and I'm glad they're back in the Central Division uh, because they, they they really don't compete with some of these other divisions, and at least they have a chance to win a few of these games coming up. Well, they've got St. Louis coming up this weekend, and yeah. that's at home. So they've got a three-game set with the Cardinals. And Friday and Saturday are at night, and then they've got a 1 o'clock Sunday game. As far as the Indians are concerned, of course, they're playing at Boston tonight. They've got them on Tuesday and Wednesday night. And then they come home for a four-game set mark with the New York Yankees. That's going to be that, an interesting weekend that for be the fun. Indians. That's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see that one. I'm anxious to see how they, they play against Boston and the Yankees and of course, I'm anxious to see how the Reds do against the Pirates and the Cardinals this weekend. That's going to do it for the show. Mark, we'll talk to you again next Monday night. Have a good one, Dave. That's going to do it. Thanks, Mark. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Glad for everybody to come in and join us on tonight's 
Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Don't forget that coming up next week, we will be back with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. So be sure that you come back and join us again next Monday night as we talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Once again, for Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad you could join us here this evening. And we'll talk to you again next Monday night at 9 o'clock on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good night, everybody.